Well, the title of my message this morning is Spiritual Medicine. It's really part two of Junkyard Demolition that we talked about before Christmas. And uh, we'll, re we'll refer to that a couple of times, that Junkyard Demolition. But um, Spiritual Medicine, do you remember medicine? And really things have changed a lot. Um, medicine, when most of us were growing up, was pretty disgusting. Uh, medicine these days, when my grandkids need medicine, they just open their mouth and say, bring it on. It's so flavorful. It's totally, things have totally changed. Uh, but medicine, sometimes you, you think about taking medicine, it would, it would just be a disgusting thing. Just real quick, and this is how we're all different. It's kind of interesting. With me, it was Vicks. My mother would threaten me with Vicks. And then she'd put that diaper on and pin it to your chest. And she's just, I'm okay, Mom. I'm all right. Don't put Vicks on me. Cynthia, meanwhile, loves this stuff. She just, so it's, it's interesting. You remember trying to get our, our, our babies to take the medicine from the eyedropper type things? And they would move their heads constantly. You just want to hold their head still and get the medicine in there. Medicine's tough. We know it's good for us, but we hate taking it. We hate being involved with it. It's, it's a hard thing. And yet we know that we ought to take medicine every once in a while. We know that it will help deal with the issues that we're facing, and it will make us feel a little bit better. Well, there are times in Christianity when we need to take some medicine. Every now and again as Christians, we need to take that that's going to help us out, not physically but spiritually. We need to deal with that that we just dread, but we know that it needs to happen because there's some things that are going on and they need to be addressed right now. I want you to open your Bibles with me to Second Chronicles chapter 14. That's where we were a couple of weeks ago, and we want to continue to look at Asa and what he does and what he, what he did, how he responded. We want to look at his junkyard demolition. We want to look at some spiritual medicine that he had to take, and we want to learn a couple of lessons from him. A bit of review. Before Christmas, when we looked at this, we called it junkyard demolition because Asa became king, his father before him, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather all were wicked kings. Asa was a good king. He was a man who listened to God and did his best to follow God. And God said, Asa, what you need to do is you need to clean up this place. There are issues here that haven't been dealt with for a long time. And so in chapter 14, there at verse 3, or excuse me, verse 2, it says, Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. For he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherim, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and observe the law and the commandment. Over in chapter 15, he continued that. Now when Asa heard these words and the prophecy which Azariah, the son of Oded, the pro Obed, Oded, excuse me, the prophet spoke and took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and from the cities which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. He got rid of those high places. He got rid of those idols. He went through and he did that demolition work. He destroyed them. He just didn't move them out of the way. He destroyed them. And that's what needs to happen sometimes if we're going to deal with some things in our life. It's not just that we cover them up or we shift them out of the way. It's that we destroy them because if we don't destroy them, boy, they come back, don't they? They're there. And we need to make sure that we are dealing with them in a, in a proper way. And so he did what he was supposed to do. War came. As we continue the story here, war came and he called on God. 
And God answered his prayer, and God gave him a great victory. Coming back from battle then, a prophet met Asa and told him, God is pleased with what you're doing, and what you're doing will be rewarded, and you will continue to be a king that prospers, and I will take care of you, and Judah will be great. And inspired by that, he began to even clean up more. And he continued his policy of junkyard demolition. And in following the Lord closely, the Lord revealed to him, this needs to be taken care of or that needs to be taken care of. And he went so far and he wanted to do what was right to such a degree that he even dealt with his own mother who was worshiping false idols and gods as his father had. And he took her idols away and he had her removed from her position of honor. He was bound and determined to deal with some of those things that were stopping him from having the relationship with God he needed to have. He was going to deal with those things that were stopping him from obeying God completely. Now, we're in the midst of a study on worship right now, and we dealt with this a couple of weeks before the Christmas holiday. And I challenged you that think about what, what is it that you needed to get rid of? What is it that you needed to clean up so that you could worship the way you needed to worship so that your Christmas celebration would be a godly and a good one and you'd be worshiping God without any hesitation and without anything getting in your way? Did you deal with some of those things? Did you recognize that indeed in life every once in a while there are things that come into our lives that if I allow them to hang around, they will hinder my worship? And when we come to grips with that, we need to make a decision, don't we? Am I going to play this game or am I going to deal with that thing so that worship can be rich and full and enjoyable? Am I going to do some demolition, demolition work in my life? Am I going to clean up those things and destroy them so that there's a clear path between me and God? Or am I just going to struggle with that on a regular basis? Hopefully you were convicted about that and you did some, some demolition work in your, work in your life these past couple of weeks and you're continuing to do that as the Lord reveals things to you and as you're sensitive to him and as worship becomes more and more a part of your life. We want to pick up the story then with Asa in chapter 15, verse 19, and it simply says this, and there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Now, I just wanted to point that out to let you know that what happened was he did what God told him to do. He honored God in his decisions. He honored God in how he went about things. He destroyed things. He had people turn back to the Lord and embrace the commandments of the Lord again. He got rid of the false and the idol worship throughout the land. He turned to God in a time of national uh, war and questioning, and God led him and took care of him like God promised that he would, and God said there will be peace now for you. Chapter 16. Verse 1, in the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Well, things are about to change. Now, in this day, and we talked about this a while back, in this day, 
Judah and Israel oft times went to battle. Okay? Judah, by and large, was walking with the Lord. Israel was really struggling with that, the nation. So they went to war every once in a while, and they had these conflicts, and this is one of those conflicts again. And so what is going on here is that the army of Israel came out against Judah, and a small army was building up a blockade around a portion of Judah's territory. This would have been pretty easy to do, and that's exactly what was happening in verse 1. Let's keep reading. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house, and he sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Baasha, with Baasha king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel, Main, Abel, Main, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Baasha heard of it, he ceased fortifying Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all of Judah, and they carried away all the stones of Ramah and its timber, timber which Baasha had been building, and with them he fortified Geba and Mizpah. So what happened was the nation of Israel was coming against Judah. They were cutting off a portion of their land. They were fortifying it so that they could keep him in one place and then they would be able to go to war with him a little bit easier. So what Asa did, instead of turning to God like he had done before, what did he do? He went into the treasury, the Bible tells us here, he went into the Lord's house. He then took some of these treasures, took the wealth that they had. He went to the foreign king, and he said, hey, let's be friends. He made an alliance with a, for, with a foreign king, and he made an alliance with somebody who his father had made an alliance with. His father was not a good example. His father walked in an evil way. So he went to the king, and he said, let's be friends, just like your dad and my dad were friends. You'll help me, and I'll help you. What happened? It worked. It worked. Asa and Judah got rid of Israel. The problem, the plan, everything was fine. Here's the problem. Here's the plan. Let's deal with it. It went away. Asa's plan was not God's plan. It was Asa's plan. An important side note here as we look at this and as we're about to see what happens next. We live in a world today, more so than ever before, but obviously as we see in this passage of Scripture, it's always been this way to a certain degree. We live in a, in a world today where visible results are generally the proof that it was of God or a good plan. We look and say, look, look at how that's done. Folks, that's just not how it works. Visible results sometimes are the result of rushing before God and doing what we want and then patting ourselves on the back for such a wonderful job. Sometimes things just get done because we do them, not because God would have them be done that way. 
Sometimes we don't ask God, we don't consult God, we don't talk to God, we don't look at what the Bible says, we just go do our own thing. In other words, we live by the, it seems to me, method of doing what we need to do. It seems to me that this would be right, and this would be okay, and then we do it, and things generally turn out okay, and we think, hey, looky there. We need to be very, very careful about that. That's exactly what Asa did. Following God and God's blessings are not always, not always, because things worked out the way that we thought they should work out. That's how it was with Asa. Things worked out the way that he thought they should work out, and so he thought, great. This is exactly what God would have us to do. He wouldn't know what God wanted him to do because he never consulted God here. You see, earlier in the section that we really didn't study, he went to the Lord and he said, Lord, what am I going to do? We looked at it a couple uh, weeks ago there that, that they, were, they were facing some overwhelming numbers. And the Lord said, get that smaller, get that smaller, get that smaller. Now let's go to war. And the victory will be to my glory and not to your glory. And Asa did exactly what God told him to do. And now he's facing the same thing. And immediately, instead of turning to the Lord, he turns to a foreign power. And he makes an alliance with that foreign power that he shouldn't be doing. And he says, let's work together so that we can deal with this instead of depending upon the Lord. Well, let's look at what it says in verse 9 then. At that time... Hanani, and he's the seer, he's the prophet. He came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and from throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. The prophet came to him after the war of chapter 14 and said, Well done! You sought the Lord... You listened to the Lord. You obeyed the Lord. The victory was given by the power of the Lord. Now continue to do your thing. You're going to find peace in your reign. Life's going to be good. And Asa immediately went and continued with destroying all of the idols in his life. Things are going great. There is no war. It's a time of peace until finally somebody decides to attack him. And instead of turning to the Lord, he turned to a foreign power. They made that treaty. And the prophet came back to him and said, you didn't do it the right way this time. And he reminded him. He said, last time when you had this issue, the Ethiopians and the Lubim, they were an immense army, and they had lots of chariot and horsemen, yet you relied on the Lord and he delivered them into your hand. You relied upon the Lord. And he said in verse 7, and this is an important thing. You have not relied upon me. You have not relied upon the Lord. You have relied upon the king of Aram. Therefore, you're going to face some problems. In verse 9, 
the prophet says this to Asa. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Whose heart is completely his. I want to go back to the junkyard demolition idea. The Lord is all about those who are following him completely. Not part way, not some of the way, not in a half-hearted way, but completely. That you are walking with the Lord in a complete way. The eyes move toward to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You see, what happens is this. We get convicted about some things. Asa was right. Things need to be destroyed. I, I believe I need to tear some things down. And we go at it. And we tear some things down. We take some steps. We go forward. You know what happens sometimes when that happens? We, 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 we tend to forget about the Lord a little bit. We start patting ourselves on the back. Look what I've done. How about that? I've done, I've done some pretty good things here. I've made some good decisions. I've done this. I've done that. And then something comes along, and because we're not, we're not seeking the Lord completely, that something else comes along, and we look at it, and we think, oh, that doesn't seem to be such a bad thing, and we embrace that thing rather than dealing with that and destroying it as well. Or the Lord convicts us about something else in our life and we're faced with something else and we don't deal with that like we did the old things. And it all comes from the, from the fact that we have to continually, folks, continually be dealing with those things in our life that God says are not good for us. We stop. We go a little ways. We stop. There are some things probably in all of our lives that are glaring, huge, big things. I'm going to deal with that thing. I'm going to destroy that thing. And then we just, we move along. And we don't deal with all those little things that are in our lives. And we tend to embrace those things. We don't get rid of them. They're not nearly as bad as that other thing. And the Lord says this. He says, I am concerned about those whose heart is completely mine, completely mine. As we think about worship, as we think about the lessons from Asa, can you say this morning that you are completely his? Completely his. It seems like so often we go through life and we're almost completely his. We're mostly completely his. More so completely his than I used to be. And none of those are the questions that are at hand this morning. The question at hand this morning is, are you completely his? What happens a lot of times in life is that we get a taste of worship and we get a taste of how joyful and wonderful it is and we do start tearing some things down and all of a sudden we get the attention of Satan. Hold on here. 
the enemy seems to say, whoa, wait a second. We start messing around with some things that he doesn't like us messing around, and he starts, he starts going to battle against us. We get a little discouraged, we get a little overwhelmed, we throw up our arms and say, ah, oh, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Are you completely his? Or are you mostly his? He saved you completely. He did all of his part completely. Are you completely his? Well, it says in verse 9 that the Lord strongly supports those who are completely his. The prophet said to Asa, you have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. I want you to notice verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Asa, what happened? Prophet came to him and said, you acted foolishly. You didn't rely upon the Lord. You relied upon foreign governments. And Asa, who had power, said, shut your mouth and get out of my sight. And he made it happen. Spiritual medicine. You know what happens in our life when we, we get serious about taking down some strongholds and dealing with those idols and, and destroying some things? Every once in a while then when we do some other things, the Lord brings people into our lives to challenge us a little bit. And to say, you know, that may not have been the right thing or you need to deal with this or you need to deal with that. The Lord brought the prophet into Asa's life so that Asa would need to think about what he was doing. Somebody needed to challenge him. And somebody needs to challenge us every now and again. That's where the spiritual medicine comes in. Somebody comes into your life and says, this is probably going to hurt. You're not going to like this much, but I think this is an issue in your life. I think that's an issue in your life. The reason why we're going down this path with Asa and the reason why we're doing this when we think about worship is this. There are times when we can't see the forest for the trees. There are times when we can't see what needs to be dealt with because we're living it and we're in the midst of it and somebody else needs to come into our life and we need to welcome that person into our life and we need to ask them Help me out with what I need to do so that my worship can be even better, so that I can be fully committed to the Lord even more, so that I can keep going. As you think about worship, as you think about giving yourself to the Lord, are you willing to put yourself in another person with another person and simply ask them, hey, are you seeing anything in my life I need to deal with? Are you willing to listen to and be challenged by another person of God who is willing to say to you, this needs some attention? Are you willing to take your spiritual medicine? It won't be pleasant when that happens, will it? It never is. But the results are always good. They help us out. 
They help us out in our growing. They help us out in who we ought to be. They help us out in our commitment to him. They help us out in our worship. It's a good thing. Proverbs 27 tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens a man. As people challenges us, it's a good thing. We, we get better at what we ought to be doing. If we're going to be serious about cleaning up and clearing out, if we're going to be serious about doing some junkyard demolition, we every once in a while are going to have to deal with somebody and take some spiritual medicine because there will probably be something in our life that we're not quite seeing as we ought. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. And God has brought us and put us into a family of believers so that we can help one another, so that we can encourage one another. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brethren, even if somebody is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one look into yourself so that you too will not be tempted. The Bible tells us that those who are spiritual should help restore the one who has fallen, who has gone down the wrong path in a gentle, kind, loving way. You know, one of the things that we're missing in Christianity, we're missing in Christianity that idea where we are open and we are welcoming uh, gentle, kind, loving people to say, look here, this is what the Bible says. You're not quite where you need to be right now. And we are missing people who are willing to then treat that friend with enough love and respect to carefully listen to what they say and evaluate their words before the Lord. People who understand that God may be working through that other person to help us so that we might be closer to the Lord. It's incredibly important that we understand that in, in dealing with some of the things that we've been talking about dealing as we went through this worship series, that there comes a point when you need somebody else's perspective once in a while. Is it easy? No. It's hard. But the goal is so that we can be closer to the Lord. So that our worship will be better. Our obedience will be better. Our fellowship will be better. Our testimony for the Lord will be better. We need people to do that for us. We need, we need people to say those things that we can't see once in a while. We need somebody to say, hey, I know you didn't see this. I know you can't see this, but here's a problem in your life right now. What is, the, what is the opposite? And this is important. What is the opposite? What happens if we don't take our spiritual medicine? What happened with Asa? He threw the guy in jail. I don't want you. I'm not going to listen to you. Get out of here. But I want you to notice, go back to 2 Chronicles. He 
He put him in prison because he was enraged at him. And then it says in verse 10 of chapter 16, and Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. He didn't stop just with this guy. You know what happened to Asa? Hard heart. A hard heart. What happened to the guy that was dealing with the reforms? What happened to the guy that was doing what he should have been doing? He didn't want somebody telling him, Asa, you're not doing it right. Hey, Israel's no longer an issue in our life. I did just fine. No, no, Asa, you didn't. You didn't reply, rely upon the Lord. You, replied, you relied upon yourself. And there's a consequence to that, Asa. And Asa then had a hard heart. A hard heart comes from a lot of things, folks. But we know for certain that one of the way one of the places a hard heart comes from, the Bible teaches us, is from when we refuse to listen to other godly people in our lives. Because generally speaking, those godly people who have shared things with us have shared what is right about us, but we refuse to listen, and we get mad at them, and then we get mad at a lot of other people, and it goes from bad to worse, bad to worse. Hard hearts. And when that happens, you're not anywhere close to the Lord when it comes to worship anymore. And pretty soon we're, we're building up new places and that, all that junkyard demolition that we did, it's just a thing of the past. It's a thing of the past. It says in the rest of 16, just to finish the story out, verse 11, now the acts from Asa from the first to the last, behold, they're written in the book of Kings in Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of the reign of Asa, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Hard heart. I will do it on my own. Now, there are many times when the Lord says, I'm going to work through this person, but you seek the Lord first. We need to develop a dependence upon the Lord if we're going to develop a real worship in our lives. Because worship is pouring into God. It is saying, God, you are worthy. And I don't say that, and I don't believe that unless I'm dependent upon him on a regular basis. A dependence upon the Lord. The Lord that we read about in Isaiah 53 during Sunday school, Isaiah 40 during our worship service this morning. He wouldn't even seek the Lord at the end of his life. He slept with his fathers, having died in the 40, 41st year of his reign, and they buried him in the tomb. The lesson from Asa is twofold. One, deal with all that stuff. Rely upon the Lord. Even if it's somebody close in your life like he did with his mother, then when the prophet came to him and said, Asa, you're not quite where you need to be, he wouldn't listen. And his heart was hardened. And he went downhill from there. One of the reasons why we don't worship like we ought, one of the reasons we are not where we need to be, is because our hearts are hard. Maybe we're, we're irked that somebody challenged us. Maybe we're irked at the fact that God is asking us to do this or God is asking us to do that. Maybe we're irked at the fact that God has done this or God has done that. There's something going on and we just, we're just, we're, 
irritated about it. And instead of being soft to the Lord and asking him to work in that area and to deal with that area and give us wisdom in that area, we just are mad about it. And we have hard hearts. And we find that our worship is virtually non-existent. Oh, we still do the things we're supposed to do as people who say they're believers. But worship is really not a part of our life. I hope that you got serious about the demolition. And then I hope that you will take this to heart and think about spiritual medicine. Other people challenging you. Other people in your life. Other people helping you. So that you can continue going down that path. So that worship will continue to be that thing that is exciting and vibrant and marks us. Not that thing that happens every now and again, but that thing that marks us. We are worshipers of God. Father, we thank you for the word of God and for the whole story of Asa and what an amazing thing it is. Father, we pray that you would convict us and grow us when it comes to our dependence upon you because we know that so much starts right there, that we would be dependent upon you above all things. And Father, we thank you that you've put us in a fellowship. Maybe it's in our homes, our church, our community, whatever it may be, and I just pray that we would be willing to, to share with other godly people about the things we're struggling with, that they would help us, and that we'd be willing to listen to what they have to say, that we might be sold out that you would have every part of our hearts, every part of our being for your glory. Father, thanks for the good work you are doing in us. Continue it. Grow us in this area that worship would be something that marks us, that we would be worshipers of the Lord God Almighty. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.